Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, timeless characters whose stories were retold in the modern day with the creation of the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Join us as we journey through My Ultimate Year. Welcome to My Ultimate Year, a comic book reading club going through all of the Ultimate Marvel line of comics from its beginning to today, reading every issue of Ultimate Comics. I'm Zach. Uh, I am, I guess, in starting in this episode, I am now the comic book uh, expert because we have a new host. <laughs> Long-time <laughs> listeners of My Marvel Year, My Ultimate Year, will know that uh, our dichotomy is a little bit like I'm the comic book journeyman to Dave's expert. Uh Probably shouldn't call myself an expert, but we uh, Dave is not here. We have a new host, uh, and this is Ashley. Um, hi, Ashley. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. Um, so we are we're starting up. This is Ashley's first episode, and uh, and Ashley has been reading some of the 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 big hits in the the bigger beats of the Marvel Ultimate line. Um, mm-hmm. And you just told me that you're thinking of going through and just reading the whole thing right like you're enjoying it enough yeah i'm i'm pretty much considering that yeah what i've read so far i've really really been enjoying especially i think because of Mm. the the fact that i'm working my way a lot more into marvel now i think it's just a it's Mm -hmm. it's a great point of access for marvel as a publisher yeah 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 agreed something something dave and i would talk about a lot um because this was all like 2005 to 2000 i think 15 is when it ended but really like the heyday Uh was the first like five years of it when they were really putting out a lot of stuff um is uh is how much like it would be nice for marvel to do this again like dave has this idea of the the just regularly cycling every decade doing another ultimate line and just starting over here's a brand new set of writers here's who's hot right now we're gonna give them spider-man we're gonna give them iron man whatever or maybe Black Panther, because uh, if if you'll read all of this, you're going to start noticing that, like, oh, they kind of cherry pick, like, who gets spotlighted here, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men, and the Avengers are really the big series here. You've got a lot of underrepresented um, characters here, like Black Panther barely shows up. And, you know, in 2021, where Black Panther is so hot right now, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think, like, having having a new spin on that character... Bring that in. Also, just bringing in not all white men, <laughs> uh, which is something <laughs> I was thinking about reading this again, where I was like, hey, I don't know if literally one th- artist or writer, maybe maybe some of the artists um, mm-hmm. are, um, are, are non-white, but uh, definitely, like, I don't think we've had any black writers, no black artists, no. and no, no. <laughs> non-white man artists, which is, uh, I, I think, in 2021, not that Marvel is, like incredible at this now but they are better than they were in in 2005 so i I think this would you know not not be the case anymore yeah i definitely think they should yeah yeah i i think i think it's a fun idea just to like always give a good jumping in point for people Mm -hmm. right because it is so it's such a great like accessible place for people to start um okay so let's let's jump in uh how how were these reading 
without, you know, being fully caught up? Did you, did you like feel like you were lost with, with some of these series or did you feel like you, you were able to jump in well enough? I think I felt most comfortable, of course, with Ultimate Spider-Man, but that that also could be because I felt like I was doing Mm -hmm. a lot more back end reading, even outside of what like you had given me, because it was just like after I finished an issue, Mm -hmm. I just would want to read another issue. It was just very, very easy to digest. I will say that so easy to read like it is (laughs) it is it's like eating candy it's like you have one and you just can't stop so and I was just I was very very surprised by that I will say that ultimate x-men probably is the most difficult to kind of navigate without having extensive Mm -hmm. background knowledge I know we just talked about it but it does feel like it is its own thing outside of marvel itself so i will say that that probably is difficult but as far as like spider-man fantastic four not so much but spider-man definitely being probably my favorite (laughs) out of the bunch yeah cool cool and uh yeah i don't know well you know what i'm I'm actually i was gonna talk about the future of ultimate spider-man but i think maybe i'll leave it a surprise for you (laughs) to discover (laughs) i'm I'm not sure how much you know about how you know ultimate spider-man plays out so um, yeah, an Ultimate X Men. If you haven't, if you weren't fully caught up on like the little list I gave you, it is. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. But a lot of what we're reading right now is kind of the direct continuation of what um, Robert Kirkman has been writing. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, once you get to the Robert Kirkman stuff and read through that, I think you'll you'll have an easier time because most of this is just mm-hmm. referencing what Robert Kirkman has been doing in like the previous six issues. Right. So. Yeah. Um, that uh, that really like sets this up um so yeah we read ultimate x-men 81 through 89 got a couple different stories here this is still robert kirkman's on the line and still like robert kirkman doing some of my favorite work i know people uh will revolt because uh <laughs> saying that i like this better than like his invincible uh, is kind of sacrilege but um i'm really i'm really digging this stuff overall um mm-hmm. this is the return of beast who died whew, Way back in, like, just off the top of my head. If Dave was here, he'd be able to say it, like, immediately. But I'm going to guess, like, somewhere in the 30s. It was quite a while ago. The Beast died, like, in a, in a Sentinel attack or something. Um, okay. And uh, he is back. Nick Fury has been keeping him under lock and key. Like, pretended that he got killed, hurried him away to work in a secret base. And then, I guess, has been, like... It was something, like, with the help of Xavier... Um, keeping his mind under lock thinking that he was like uh-huh. still in contact with his family like he he thought that he was like that everyone knew he was alive he was not aware that he was you know dead to the world uh until xavier yeah. just died recently or he actually got yes. pulled out of this timeline into the right. future by kate or um, future yeah, by cable cable yeah um that woke him up to this which uh means that he he's working on a cure for the legacy virus and this is all wrapped i mean the, the big picture here is like bishop and cable are from the yeah. future um they're they're, they're budding heads it, the, we saw mostly the cable stuff in the past they're they're kind of at cross mm-hmm. purposes until we find out that they're not and they're actually working together and they're trying to work to like stop some kind of future that they they think is coming this apocalyptic world and, yeah. uh, and that means kidnapping Professor Xavier. That means Bishop mm-hmm. is here reforming the X-Men because um, mm-hmm. Scott Summers and Jean Grey like, have basically disbanded the X-Men and just gone like purely yes. the school route. 
so yeah. Bishop is trying to create like his actual X-Men here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see what, what else happens here? I think the, the, the following story, it, it, it kind of is following a few things. We've got Kurt Wagner who is, um, here <laughs> fresh off of like kidnapping Dazzler and getting uh, <laughs> drummed away from the X-Men, um, for being a creep. Um, he is going down to the sewers to find the Morlocks while Bishop is gathering his, his team of X-Men. What, what did you think about like Bishop and, uh, do you, I don't really know much about Bishop in the mainline X-Men, so I don't have that much comparison. Um, so this is I, yeah, really my I don't either. <laughs> uh, point of reference for the guy. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, I was more, I think, within like reading these issues, very much so invested in seeing what he was going to do with forming this new group um, of X-Men. I think I struggled a little bit with these issues because I felt like, like you just said, there were like a couple of other things going on. I felt like there was a lot going on um, within these issues, a lot of different storylines. But I think for me, my main focus was looking at um, what Bishop was going to be doing with this, this new team, which is what I found to be the most intriguing aspect of it, to be honest with you. He, he does this, uh, like, it, it's interesting because he'll be gathering this team, and his new team is Wolverine, Storm, mm-hmm. Pyro, Dazzler, Pyro, Angel, and Psylocke. Mm-hmm. And he'll be gathering them, but then, like, he has this, you know, secret knowledge from everybody about, like, everybody's importance. So there's that layer of mystery of, like, yeah. you know, what, what role everyone's going to fill, and he kind of knows what role they're going to have, um, including, like, that Dazzler is somehow, like super key and very important and much more mm-hmm. powerful than she knows and he's like helping mm-hmm. her unlock her powers um which uh just like pointing out the the artwork here we'll, we'll get to the art in a bit but like <laughs> when it gets to dazzler's powers like really exploding um some really mm-hmm. cool artwork here i really like i think it's um when we're in the i think it's the pascal alix part of this uh the way that they do that mm-hmm. i think that they put in some extra like maybe some computer generated stuff um artwork yeah. so these these big like northern lights looking things for when she causes these explosions i think that's a really fun effect and it's fun to give dazzler a power more than uh flashing lights that dazzle people um <laughs> i i like that part of it um there there is the the other the one part of this though is that it comes out about halfway through here that bishop uh that that Psylocke, who is stuck in the body of like a 16 year old Asian woman, right? Which is kind of a throwback to like the original thing where uh, another Asian woman gets her body taken over by, uh, yeah. by, by the same like British woman, Betsy Braddock, which uh, again, kind of <laughs> surprising that they stuck <laughs> with the same exact thing. Uh, Cause it's very weird and confused in mainline Marvel. Um, uh-huh. She's in danger and he yells something like, stay away from my wife. <laughs> and everyone basically like, <laughs> including the villains are like, <laughs> <laughs> frozen Wait, like ah, excuse, <laughs> excuse me she's uh she's uh, she's 16 you're uh <laughs> like even like even the fenris twins who are like siblings holding hands or like take a beat to be uncomfortable um uh, the irony behind yeah, that this, this is a weird touch <laughs> yeah it, it's a weird touch where they they kind of want to like I mean, I mean you know it's just like he was married to an adult psylocke in their time, because in the, mm-hmm. in this time he is like of an age of hers. You know, he's he's in his young twenties or something. So it's you know it's not <laughs> it's not problematic mm-hmm. there. Um, it's just like one of these things where I, I guess you know people's defense of this would just be like, 
Well, you know, it's just how like it happened. Like, you know, in his time, he's the same age, and you know, there's not this. And it's like to me, I'm kind of just like, yeah, you still wrote it though, right? Like, you still wrote this <laughs> so that would happen. Like, it isn't an inevitability that like this had to be play out this way. Like, sometimes people like will use like, well, logically, it makes it makes a logical sense as a as a yeah. excuse for stuff like this. And it's like, yeah, sure, technically, if this was happening in real life, I'd be like, oh man, that must be hard. What a weird, awkward situation. Like, it's not. <laughs> real life it's a comic book where someone wrote this <laughs> exactly exactly um so like it, it's not bad it's not like egregious i don't think it's just Mm-mm. i mostly like they have this conversation where he's like anytime you catch me you know like wistfully smiling at you just know i'm just thinking of the good times and it's like okay all right i i don't know i'm, I'm just like i didn't Psylocke also just came in, and so it just to me it would just be like, yeah, you could just make her twenty one, like, yeah, you yeah. know, like make make her not like kind of a child. It would st- you would still have that tension, of yeah, you the, would, like you the would. age difference, right? And her being like, oh, who's this old? Who's this old man? Oh, oh god, yeah, but, like old man. it wouldn't be, you know, <laughs> that's awkward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that that's that's the you know what one one small thing here that I. I raised an eyebrow out but but you know in, in the run of things mark yeah. miller <laughs> mark miller has done a lot worse so i'm not i'm not that upset about it um yeah so like speaking of the art we, we have like three big artists here it starts out with ben oliver who i love and then yes. switches to pascal alex 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 um and then moves to um uh yannick Piquet. Paquette. Who, who we've seen before. I really like all three of these artists. I really like Ben Oliver. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish he stayed on a little bit longer. <clears throat> he, um, his art's just like, so, uh, like quiet and not like cartoony mm-hmm. compared to everything else we read in ultimate. And it's just kind of like nice to have something like a little bit more, um, it's, it's a stupid word to describe it, but like adult seeming, like it's just, it's a very like, no, I uh, agree. I agree. Yeah, everything else does definitely feel I don't um, know. more cartoony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like it's a little bit less uh, less showy, but I, I really mm-hmm. like what he's doing, and he knows how to lay out a page. I like, I like. Um, I'm very surprised because I'm I'm usually can get kind of funny. I can't remember another series that I've read where um, they did a few issues and they were trying out different artists within the issues, and it just did not. It didn't work well for me visually. It was too much of a drastic change between, and it just, it felt very, very, Mm -hmm. I don't know, inconsistent. And even though I think these three artists have, you know, their own distinctive styles, I feel like it, it wasn't as jarring for me as I anticipated it being, because I'm usually not, I usually Mm -hmm. like seeing, and this is just me being picky, which I can be very picky about stuff like this. I love seeing those long combinations. That's what these shows are for. (laughs) I love seeing those long combinations of like, you know, of, of writer, writer and artist pairings and you get to see them kind of like, you know, that consistency and watching them kind of grow and develop together. So usually for me, like the changing of the artists, I usually get kind of, I get weird about that, but it didn't bother me here. It didn't bother me at all as much as I was expecting it to bother me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you must be liking that at ultimate x-men or not x-men ultimate spider-man with brian Mc- i'm Mendes loving it and, um, i'm loving it mark bagley cause, <laughs> yes cause they have yes that, that's like one of the longest like lo- one of 
if not the longest, like, writer-artist right. combos, like, on one consistent... Yeah. So it's, like, 115 issues, something like that. Like, it's, it's yeah, very, I very impressive. Um, we, we're coming into this just post-Bagley now, but... Yeah, I yeah I have looked that up because I was enjoying <laughs> I was enjoying the combination so much and yeah they are there it was a long a long partnership that they had and it worked so well I love it. Um, okay, so the the first the first story here is Kurt Kurt Wagner goes down to the sewers to meet the Morlocks and if you're not familiar with the Morlocks they are mutants that are uh, not like human passing basically you know like Nightcrawler or. Um, Caliban, who's kind of got this, like, gray skin, kind of like an ogre-looking skin, or Leech, who's got big eyes, um, or just, you know, any assortment of X-Men who is just like, oh, you, you're a frog, <laughs> or you're a, you're a goblin out of, uh, you know, like, a token novel, or whatever. Um, anyway, so, like, he goes down to, you know, find a place there, since he's drummed out of the X-Men at the same time, um, Scott Summers sends uh, Toad down to there who toad who is now like reformed and uh you know working with the x-men instead of the brotherhood of evil mutants um and the morlocks kind of just lash out like immediately to both of their presences uh, especially um a guy named sunder uh who's just this like big tank of a uh, like a mortal mutant apparently it, you know it comes down like the x-men or the the old x-men um Scott and Gene and uh, I'm not sure who else, Iceman, I think, uh, all like go down to the sewers and have to rescue them. And then, it, you know, they kind of talk about like trying to bring them up above to, to stay at the, the school, etc. Um, how did this how did the story work for you? The, these two issues? Um, I, I it was interesting for me. Um, once again, I think going in and not having as much knowledge from like, I guess, I don't want to say normal Marvel because <laughs> I feel like that's the wrong word to use, but I'm going to go with it because yeah. I can't think of anything else. I think Ma- not I, having I usually as say much... like mainline, mainline Marvel, or... mainline, mainline. <laughs> there we go. Um, I think not having as yeah. much, um, yeah. as much background from mainline Marvel, um, even with these two issues, it, it for me is intriguing because I feel like I'm, I'm stepping into something that's, that's new. Um, and I think yeah. it was, you know, just an interesting concept for them. I mean, in, in trying, like you said, to bring them, um, thinking about bringing them to the school. So, I mean, for me, it was good. Maybe, I don't know if it's because I really don't have as much context as, as other people who may have, um, more regarding like Storm and Morlocks from the main, um, you know, main line for Marvel. But I mean, it was good for me. I, I liked, uh, how, um, I mean, one, one little touch that, I, as far as I know, is not in six one six Marvel. Is mm-hmm. Callisto, who's got a weird thing. She she's the leader of the Morlocks and you know the main thing until Storm mm-hmm. goes down and like duels her and takes leadership from her. Um, yeah. But uh, like her eye patch comes off here and it opens like a portal to like a Cthulhu <laughs> realm of tentacles comes spilling out of her eye, which like yeah. they don't explain it all. It's wild. It's such a fun weird touch of just like. Yeah, that's her thing, is that she's got, like, you know, her eyeball is gonna, you know, release <laughs> Narglathotep or something, right? Like, something horrifying exactly. is gonna come out of her eye socket. Um, yeah, that that was fun. I, I like... So this is something I'm, I'll, I'll bring up with the next arc, the Sentinels arc as well, where, uh-huh. like, I, I think this was fine. Like, th- these are good, readable comics. I think Kirkman has a good ear for, like, these characters and the dialogue. I like the art. 
I think they move well. I think the, like, actual metaphors for, you know, mutants being talked about here as, like, an oppressed people um, uh-huh. is just, like, kind of some of the most, like, surface-level skimming the <laughs> the surface that you can do. Like, I, I was searching for, like, some something here that is being discussed, right? Like, something uh-huh. about being, you know, visibly, uh, you know, like, you can't, uh, you know, maybe talking about, like, transgender people, you know, and, like, the privilege of passing versus not passing or something. Like, yeah. I don't think that was on his mind. No. Anything like that. And I just, I don't think there was anything here. I mean, that that is, you know, that's a pretty touchy thing that you'd yeah. want to handle with care. Um, But, like... Uh, I, I just couldn't find, like, anything here that was really being talked about, because it was just like, you don't have to live in the sewers, you could live up above, and they're like, we want to, we're comfortable, and then it was like, okay, and that was kind of the <laughs> extent of it, <laughs> like, it, it just didn't feel and like That there... was the end of it, that was the end of it, instead of, yeah. A- any kind of, you know, larger discussion about, like, societal acceptance, or, you know, like, trying to... Exactly. Be acceptable, you know, like, make yourself acceptable to pass, or, you know, like... There could have been, like, Scott mm-hmm. talking about, like, come up above and Jean Grey will make your, you know, appearance acceptable to people. And then mm-hmm. them resisting it on those grounds because that's offensive because they're just like, no, we are who we are. You know, it doesn't really get yeah. into any of that except just kind of, like, people having this kind of knee-jerk reaction to not wanting to be condescended to. Yeah. No, I definitely, I definitely agree. I, I think, I think you're, I think he could have, I mean, there's definitely room to dive deeper into that. Especially, like you said, when you talk about, um, I mean, because I would look at them, I mean, just in thinking about today's context, thinking about like marginalized groups and, you know, um, just in a lot of conversation Mm -hmm. today, like you said, talking about the ability, even being a, a part of a larger marginalized group and being able to pass and still be considered part of a marginalized group definitely is a very, um, it's a very complex conversation, very interesting conversation to have, and one that I definitely believe could have been yeah. at play when we're looking at these two groups who would, by you know today's terms, be considered a huge marginalized group, but you have those who pass and those who don't. But yeah, it, I mean, that would have been interesting to see. But I mean, I even think, within you know, like... Thinking, it, the, the, the shades of like privilege even within a marginalized group, right? Like, maybe yeah. like a white passing, you know, like person of color, right. Who like can kind of like almost, you know, pass in either, either context, right. Like stuff like that. And and the thing is like, I I don't, I don't expect like an X-Men comic for teenagers more or less, like Mm -hmm. to be at the cutting edge of these conversations and to be like pushing the conversation into like bold, uncomfortable places. But sometimes I just kind of wish like it would at least use the platform of these comics just to make it more interesting. Mm -hmm to be like talking about these ideas and and maybe introducing some of these conversations, you know, allegorically to people Mm -hmm. through superhero comics, right? Like talk about colorism through the allegory of, (laughs) of this, right. If you want to, like, I mean, I, I don't know, like that, that, that maybe, you know, that, that doesn't sound like a great idea to use Morlocks exactly because the analogy is maybe offensive to me, like (laughs) to talk about that, you know, as, being a being a toad person but like you know what i mean just like mm-hmm. trying to trying to use these like allegories that they have to actually talk about something on on a somewhat deeper level which is 
we're going to get to, let's jump into the Sentinel thing, because this leads into my, (laughs) this is a a bigger sticking point for me here. Okay. The the next arc is more of um, Bishop putting together his team, and at the same time, there is Sentinels are back. And the Sentinels are back, and they are killing mutants in public, and there is this new group called the Mutant Liberation Front. It's being led by a guy named Strife. Um, and Wolfsbane is there, Rain Sinclair, who's one of my personal favorites from mainline Marvel. She's a little wasted here. She just kind of gets killed unceremoniously later. Um, she's a bit of a bummer. She doesn't even really have her Scottish accent, <laughs> which is <sad. laughs> Um, but, uh, and it kind of keeps happening that, like, they'll be having the, the Mutant Liberation Front is, like, they're not quite the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. They're not, like, hardliner. It's like, uh, you know... Magneto, but they are like, we're going to use, you know, violence and we're going to use these extreme methods to mm-hmm. get equality. And it is one, it's just kind of framed as like, yeah, that's bad, which is, you know, kind of a boring white liberal point to take. And then <laughs> two, the, the, the other thing is that the mutant liberation front clearly, like, you start seeing that strife, like, has these big rallies with a bunch of mutants and then Sentinels burst in and then he leaves. And he keeps, like, teleporting out of there, and it's, like, becoming obvious that he is selling out mutants for, like, personal gain at the behest of the Fenris twins, who, like, I don't know if they're Nazis here in uh, in the mainline thing. I think they're they're Nazis. They're just, like, anti-mutant creeps who, like, if they hold <laughs> their brother and sister, if they hold hands, they have fire powers. I don't know. Um, the Yeah, it basically comes down to, like, the Fenris twins are sending out Sentinels, and Strife yeah. is, is on their side. This is so ripe for the a conversation about the ways that <clears throat> the the point is that strife is a mutant in the middle of this and that like the mutant liberation front is like splintering the conversation between mutants between like Jean or Jean Grey and Scott Summers trying to you know like keep mutants safe and educate them and bishop's more proactive approach the mutant liberation front is like in the middle of this kind of like splintering the conversation by being this more extreme arm and people are like you know being pulled in the comics eyes on this more extreme direction but then it just kind of comes out like yeah mutants just doing it for cash and the fenders what it doesn't really talk about any of this it doesn't really go into depth about any of this and like it's just frustrating because i think the conversation is like right there yep like you, you kind of have everything built up to talk about actual, like, the, the analogy to real black movements during the civil rights movement is right there where talking about, like, <clears throat> the real ways that people of power, specifically, like, the CIA and the FBI, would insert themselves into civil rights groups and then splinter them from the inside by, like, push, pushing them to extremes. Like, the FBI would infiltrate the Black Panthers and the... Um, is it the, the Weather Underground? Um, and all, all these... What, what am I saying? That sounds weird to my ear. Uh, yeah, the Weather Underground. Okay. It's, it sounded... I don't know <laughs> if I've said that out loud that often. It's kind of an awkward, <laughs> awkward sounding group. Um, would, like, go infiltrate their, like, uh, conferences and then push, like, the most extreme position to, like, splinter the groups and was really successful in doing this and, like, causing dissonance in the ranks and, like, having these groups, like, crumble from the inside. That is, like, a tried-and-true tactical method to put down any kind of, like, you know, organized of of 
like marginalized people uh, in like working class organization. And it's like, this is so close to be able, being able to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And just for it to like completely ignore that and not go anywhere really near that conversation is so frustrating mm-hmm. to me. Um, and I'm, I'm holding this to a slightly higher standard because it does get so close, right? Like some comics yeah. just don't even talk about Try this it stuff. Yeah. It's just that like it got so close to being, a, I was just like, man, that that's, that's such a, you know, like I, I just feel like you could have a really smart, interesting, it would just make the comic more interesting, you know, more than mm-hmm. like, you know, from some social justice point of view where I want like all my comics to be soapboxes. I just think like (laughs) what's going on in this comic would be more interesting if it would embrace the reality of like, because that, I mean, that that history is really fascinating and upsetting and, you know, like the actual dynamics of power, but like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What what do you, what do you think about? Yeah. uh, Yeah, The dynamics of power and power and greed, power and greed. Definitely. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and when I was going through this, I kind of felt the same way. But this this entire, like, kind of grouping that we read, it's it's going there, getting there, and then almost, like, pulling back. I don't know whether that was, you know, yeah. if we're looking at this in terms of, like, time, like, maybe, you know, because we know now in 2021, a lot of these conversations are happening more broadly. Not that they never happened before, but I think that they're happening... Um, mm-hmm almost like wider access now more people are, are talking about um you know perspectives for from sure. marginalized groups and and you know what has happened historically but it is for me it wasn't troubling but it is it's frustrating to see someone like you said get so close mm-hmm. and then i could never figure out like are you pulling back because of you know the time in which this is written like no one's really talking about it or are you pulling back and fear because no one's really talking about it and you really just don't want to take it that far. But yeah, like you said, to to go that far and to see this entire situation kind of turn to where it's not it's not just solely hatred of mutants from the outside, but someone kind of coming in on the inside to to tear them apart for self gain is something that has happened historically. Um, there are people who have lost their lives because of situations like that. So to see that allegory and like you to see that done so strongly and to feel like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm reading this and we're getting to this point. And then to see it pull back, it's disappointing. I'm not going to lie. It's very, very disappointing. And I am, I'm very much. So I love when, I mean, this is just me as a reader. I mean, it doesn't even have to be comics, but I love when, writers in general set things up um, where your characters are allegories for things that are happening in in real life. I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, but that is definitely something that I look for um, in comics and books. They, I tend to lean more towards that stuff. So while I thought like that buildup was interesting, um, I think hitting that climax and the resolution was, was disappointing for me because I wanted it to go a little bit deeper. I, I'd say, I mean, so I kind of, I kind of want to talk about that more. Like, I I don't think I seek out necessarily, like I want things to Mm -hmm. be an allegory for, you know, Mm -hmm. like real life social movements or, you know, stuff. But like Mm -hmm. the, the, the flip side of that is um, (laughs) just had someone trolling me on Twitter being like, 
why do you want to see LGBT and uh, minority people represented in comics? Like, it's not mm-hmm. real life, it's fantasy. Like, what? why are you so obsessed with this idea? And, like, mm-hmm. for me, like, I don't, I, I don't think it's activism, right? That's the thing that's... Thing. Like, I don't think putting, like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a wider array of characters in a book, in a comic book, is, like, it's not activism to me. Like, the activism comes from the actual like hiring practices right like having because i think that's just the natural consequence of not having a a such a like white straight man perspective Mm -hmm. uh or like um like field of uh of writers right like and Mm -hmm. and people like making these decisions from the comics right like when you have a wider field of people making art you're just going to get a, a broader view of art um yeah so like for me the the part of that that is like that matters is that I I don't I I'm not looking for LGBT and minority like racial minority representation in comics because I like I think it's like an, for an activist's cause even though I think mm-hmm. you know it's good to have that like for me it's because it's real life and like if you were separating art from humanity then what's the point of art right like mm-hmm. a, a a work of superhero stuff completely devoid of any grounding in an actual humanity. There's nothing there, right? Like it's just yeah. Wikipedia pages full of lore and plot, right? Like, and that it's boring. It's bad art, <laughs> right? Like if if yeah. you are stuck on one perspective and it is just this super limited perspective, um, I think you are just missing out on the like richness of human experience. Um, exactly. And and I think that's kind of you know some somewhat what we're we're both talking about. Um, yeah. yeah, and you know I I don't want to like this could this could be editorial. This could be Kirkman. Honestly, like this could be like Kirkman's, you know, as deep as Kirkman thinks about it, right? Like, so who knows? I, I don't want to yeah. put that on any specific person. <clears throat> I, I I would guess that Marvel editorially doesn't want to, you know, dr- draw a strong line between, um, you know, the mutant liberation front being splintered and, you know, like Fred Hampton <laughs> or something, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, 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 yeah. They don't want to yeah. get that like se- no. <laughs> serious about it because I think they would be uncomfortable with that that conversation. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting to me because like I, I, I kind of want to give X Men credit over the years for being you know like it's important to a lot of people for being this allegory for like for people being marginalized right but at the okay. same time I personally feel frustrated all the time by it by its unwillingness to actually delve into these topics with any kind of um, like clarity or um, like. Just like a yeah, a clear um, and uh, like a nuanced perspective, especially of mm-hmm. what it actually means and feels like to be from these marginalized groups. And part of that mm-hmm. is that like it's historically just been written by white men for decades, right? And Chris Claremont, like bless him, did incredible work making this into this you know powerhouse of a comic and really like built it from from nothing more or less. But like at the same time, his perspective is limited. Um, yeah. So like, it, while while people talk about it as being this like very political, strong allegory, sometimes that's important to people. I I also just feel that frustration of it like very rarely having a discussion in a way that I feel is like radical or pushing, you know, pushing a kind of a, a really strong um, perspective. I yeah. Know. I mean, you you haven't read that much X Men, but I'm, I'm I'd be curious to see you know as as you continue to read what you think of that. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, do you have any other thoughts on that on that storyline? No, 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 no. Jump, jump forward. We're 
No, we can jump forward. Um, the next, uh, the next, we got one issue, one issue of Shadow King, uh, with um, with Storm, and this is kind of a flashback mm-hmm. to like her days as a car thief and her boyfriend at the time, Emil Farouk, and the. To me, this this was not super successful. This kind of felt like the, something the Ultimate line will do a lot is just be like, "Hey, this is um this is something from Marvel that you recognize, <clears throat> and we have to, we're gonna fill it in here." And it doesn't like bring anything big or new to it. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. Shadow King, it was fine. This issue was fine. I, I don't really have any strong feelings about it. <laughs> um, I like Storm. But uh, like her being attacked by an ex boyfriend who controls like shadow beasts or whatever was not not particularly like interesting. No, what yeah, you think? it it wasn't interesting. To me at all. Yeah. Okay, all right, we don't have to spend that, yeah. that much time on this one. Then. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, it's fine. I mean, you know, they have these little one off one off issues that uh, that that uh, don't you know they are clearly like I think this is just a one one time issue that's not. Mm-hmm. Leading much anywhere oh i do want to just mention for for people listening um it does seem like so at the end we get that cable and bishop are working together which is kind of interesting that's kind of a wild twist um cable in this world is wolverine um you might have picked up on that with the claws um yeah which is which is a a weird and cool twist because that is not how it happens in mainline marvel like that is not the case at all i like that yeah i i i maybe i because like i said like i'm just kind of getting into what's been going on um, with X-Men in the past couple of years. And I thought that they were the same mm. and definitely, definitely not. Um, yeah. Cable being Wolverine no, is definitely it's, it, a twist. Th- this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a real, this is a big simplification of the character, which I think actually works in the ultimate line. Cause you don't like, you only have one series. You don't want to get way too bogged down in like timeline shenanigans and stuff like that. So I, I, I think this yeah. is a fun twist. They're working together and <clears throat> he's actually bringing in Xavier. Like he kidnapped him and he's like, also now I'm going to train you so that you don't mess up again. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in that through line, like that through line about the time travel thing, which I usually am not mm-hmm. into like time travel stuff. It has me, it has me pretty, me helpful, neither. So. Um, all right. So we spent a lot of time in X-Men. We, <laughs> yeah yeah oh time travel stuff yeah well no that's x-men <laughs> that is a lot of x-men yeah yeah that's yeah it, it's usually so far what we've read up to like 1991 in my world this year is pretty good and is not overly you know wonky but uh it's it's been okay so far but i know it gets wild mm-hmm. all right so we uh let's jump into fantastic four this is continuing the mike carry run i have to say i've hated the mike carry run so far it's one of my absolute least favorite comics we've read. I think this is a step up. I did not dislike these. Uh, I think part of it is Mark Brooks comes on as the penciler for the first part and uh, Tyler Kirkham for the second, which is a significant improvement from, I don't, was it Pasquale Ferry, I think? Might have been, who, who was, yeah, it was Pasquale Ferry, who I really did not like in the previous run. But I, I think this works okay. We've got two stories here, Ghosts, um, which is... Ivan Kragoff, which is like the red ghost in Marvel, main Marvel. And like, in that, he's like a guy on the moon with a bunch of monkeys. Like, <laughs> he's this weird, yes, like cackling yes. Soviet villain. Here, yes. it's not, <laughs> not quite the same. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's trying to kidnap Sue Storm and like push her through the end zone with his wife's dead body to like fuse them together to bring his wife back to life, more or less. Um, Okay, that's actually a pretty good summary. 
<laughs> that was a really good summary. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and at the same time, Reed Richards is totally obsessed with this cosmic cube he's building, which he got, like, implanted in his head by Thanos, the idea to build this. So he's, like, completely blowing everybody off, including, like, Sue Storm. So she goes off to Soviet Russia. It's not Soviet Russia. It's, like, 2007. What am I talking about? <laughs> um, she goes off to Russia uh, alone. And, uh, and, uh, gets kidnapped and Ivan Kragoff, the Red Ghosts, uh, uh, is it, yeah, his assistant, Sorba, uh, who I don't know if she's in Marvel, basically, like, takes over and she wants to combine with Sue Storm to steal her powers. I think that's the thrust of it. Um, it's fine. Like, this, this was not, uh, the Crimson Dynamo shows up, there's some, like, fun robot art, but boring robot fights, uh... And uh, it was okay. I liked the Sorba accidentally fuses with a bunch of animals. The artwork was fun with that. Like, this story was not great, but it did not offend me. <laughs> like the uh, yeah. the last couple stories we read by him. Yeah, I... I, what, I what did you think? Am, I'm familiar with Red Ghost, actually, from Mainline. So it was interesting mm -hmm. um, okay. <clears throat> seeing him as a the wild man in space with monkeys and then kind of coming yeah. to him, <laughs> yeah. coming to him in, in, in these issues. Um, but you know, I just, I enjoyed his cookiness like you, this really wasn't the best for me. Um, Reed, I feel like, you know, Reed has potential to cause a lot of unnecessary problems. Um, and oh, so that's, whole thing. <laughs> that's like, yeah, it just, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, here goes Reed causing another problem. And now we have to fix the problem that Reed has caused. Um, so it oh, wasn't all of his character. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how it feels yeah. for me. I'm like, yeah, this is all his fault. So let's everybody go in and let's work together and clean up Reed's mess. So that's how it, that's how it pretty much felt for me. Um, I wasn't blown away. It wasn't anything that was, you know, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. And, you know, yeah, I've read the first, the first couple of issues that you, you know, that you'd sent me to read of the Fantastic Four. And, um, I liked it. It's, it's, it's good, but nothing really that I'm, I feel like passionate about, you know, like, it's just kind of like, meh, yeah. middle of the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And in, in the Ultimate Fantastic Four has had a really hard time trying to find that, like, spark of what makes them work. I think part of it, I think a large part of it is that these characters just don't sing. Like, mm -hmm. none of them particularly. Like, Reed, they, they, they're clearly pushing Reed as being really cocky here, which he always is pretty cocky and full of himself, but, like, really cocky and constantly causing the actual problems, like, the, the, the villains and the, like, <laughs> troubles that they are, they're fighting are often caused by Reed, which I like, but, like, you kind of have to balance that with, like, uh, like, if you want me to care about the character a little bit, like, I don't know, you have to find a way for me to care about the character, and <clears throat> for the most part, they just make me, like, exasperated with Reed, which is not where I should always be, yeah. and I'm always in that mode. And then, on the other side, Sue, Sue is totally defined by being with Reed. That's her entire characteristic, is just being her, yep. his girlfriend. Um, less here than usual, but still, that's basically who she is. And then Johnny Storm is, like, kind of anonymous in this, and the thing is not, like, 
his dialogue is not like nearly as snappy and fun as it always is in the, the mainline Marvel. Yeah. So I did like, okay, so here's the thing. We, we read a Mike Carey Thanos story already. Um, so when I flipped to, I think it's issue number 50 and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is another Thanos story. This is the continuation. I was like, okay, well, I'm canceling the podcast. I have to, <laughs> it's uh, Ashley's first episode, <laughs> but I'm going to email her and tell her the podcast is canceled because I'm not reading more of this like Thanos stuff because I hated it so much. Um, what do you, do you have any context for Thanos outside of the MCU? Not really. Honestly, I think my entire, to be honest, and I'm thinking very, very hard about this, but I am like 99.9% sure that my entire context of Thanos, it has been from the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's very limited in Marvel for a while, like in the seventies, Jim, Mm -hmm. Jim Sterling, Jim Starling, the guy who created him, does like a couple years and he does some Thanos stories. And then Thanos disappears mm-hmm. for like 16 years or something in Marvel, like completely out of the story. And then he comes back in 1991 with some like incredible stories, like the Infinity War in Marvel, which we just covered on My Marvel's mm-hmm. Years. Excellent. Um, and he, he's really great. When when he's great, he's great <laughs> in, uh, in Marvel, especially <laughs> written by Jim Starlin. Um, here... I really hated his first appearance because it really lacked all the texture that makes Thanos interesting. Like Thanos's obsession mm-hmm. with death, um, this kind of like constant death wish was, um, it, it was there, I guess, because they talked about how he just dies and is resurrected over and over again. It's like, he's going to like visit like lady death almost by dying. Uh, and he's this kind of immortal being. I just, I, I really thought something was lacking. I think this works pretty well. I think all this mm-hmm. like worked not not as well as like Thanos works in mainline Marvel for me, but like I didn't hate this. Yeah. It still gets bogged down in a lot of like sci-fi details about his civilization, and like I think Mike Carey thinks that stuff is like a little more interesting than it actually is. Um, <laughs> but like 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 just talking about like using all this you know like technical jargon for uh, like Thanos's world and stuff, it, like seems like it could be seen as world building, but to me it's just like it. it just makes my eyes glaze over um mm-hmm. but thanos comes for the cube this cosmic cube that reed built and uh it's kind of this battle of the wills and it, it's a little bit of the classic like thanos wins and thanos gets you know complete power um and then it does the kind of amazing thing that i love from mainline marvel which is that thanos sabotages himself thanos doesn't really want to win um that's like the the reoccurring theme over and over again mm-hmm. in mainline Marvel is that Thanos is always undercut by his own like self-doubt. And here what Reed does is to defeat him because Thanos takes the cube. Thanos starts like rearranging the earth. He pulls, I think Manhattan like out of the earth. He turns the seas into stone, you know, all, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, he, uh, it, Reed, Reed removes the, the cube is like, um, controlled mentally and uh he removes like the fail safe so that like any stray thought doesn't get triggered by the cube so thanos like immediately dies because his stray thoughts are always just about death and his obsession (laughs) with death and his like own death wish that works that works pretty well for me i think that was like a fun way of of resolving this story without it being too like deus ex machina um what what did you think about this whole thing overall um i don't like i said i don't have much context for thanos so it wasn't like yeah sure. it was it was fine for me um i'm not into yeah. what like you said what would i guess was supposed to be world building 
I personally, like, am not into the more, it's probably why I don't read sci-fi a lot, to be honest with you. I'm not really into the more, like, what would be considered more sci-fi elements, but I thought that from what I've seen in the movies, I found it interesting that I was more in tune with his obsession with death than, I think in the movies, he's kind of like, it's not that he, because he has a lot of depth, but I feel like he's just this character that people just instantaneously, like, they fear whenever they see him. Um, and mm-hmm. I think in this one, sure. it was, is definitely a little bit more, um, a little bit more ex- exploration of, of, I'm trying to find the right words, but more explanation or exploration of that obsession with, with death instead of him just being this hulking character mm-hmm. that everybody would just be fearful of as soon as he came, you know, on page. So, and then, you know, that's also coming from a perspective too, of someone who doesn't have that much experience reading him as a character within the comics. Yeah. In the, in the comics that uh, obsession with death is like literalized into him being literally in love with the woman death. Like death is this lady walking around and he is actually obsessed with her to like, you know, in a a literal way. Um, So like, yeah, that, that is much more a comics thing than, mm-hmm. than in the MCU. I, I yeah, I like that that part too. I, I think this still like <laughs> to be fair, I don't think it's, you know, maybe your resistance to like sci-fi that makes the world building here not interesting. It okay. is it is just a lot of like here's a bunch of wacky like sci-fi names and you know like he talks about all this stuff a lot, but he doesn't go into depth and yeah. The, it, yeah. It's not as bad here honestly as it used to if it, as it was in the first run, but um it uh yeah, the, all that stuff like it is it, like Atria is this character who comes in, and I mm-hmm. don't know what purpose she serves except just to be like Thanos' daughter. Who, <laughs> I, yeah, um, and some like really, Mike Carey is not good at playful banter. There's some like I, I wish I remembered it. There's some really like thuddingly bad lines when he's trying to be like um, like do snappy dialogue. He's yeah. actually pretty decent at the like arch villain the kind of, like, very serious Thanos talk, mm-hmm. I think, works. When he's trying to do, like, snappy banter, it falls so flat for me. Which is probably why he's good on, like, a series like Lucifer, because it's not, like, a fun, poppy series. Like, it's a little bit more serious and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know, gr- grounded, I guess. Yes. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> sounds like we're, we're more or less aligned on that. Maybe I liked it a little more than you. But I, <laughs> I definitely get, <laughs> you know, especially walking into this one blind, uh, mm-hmm. that would be... It'd be rough. Um, okay, so finally we get we get our dessert here yes. with uh, Ultimate Spider-Man one eighteen through one twenty two, which I think is this all Liz Allen story here. Um, yes, a lot of it is. Remember. Yeah. Oh no, there's the Omega the Red. It's the Omega Red, and then the Shocker story at the end. Yeah. So um, what, why don't you tell me what you thought of the the first one, the Liz Allen story here? Oh, Liz Allen, so anti-mutant and is a mutant. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of that classic, like, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if they're specifically trying to do the, like, I'm a homophobe, but, like, turns out I'm gay kind of thing, because it's not like that just emerges yeah. out of, like, like it, it, if that's what they're doing, it doesn't quite read like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just trying to do that, you know, ironic thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, definitely that uh, that irony of, of being anti-mutant and then you actually are a mutant when it's all said and done. Um, I found it interesting that just um, 
I felt for her in some aspects because she, I mean, she freaked. I, I feel like if I was in her shoes too, I probably would have freaked out too. And then, you know, she thought, um, that it was Johnny who ended up causing her to, to have these mutant powers. <laughs> lit her on fire. <laughs> lit her on fire. Now all of a sudden she's just on fire and it's Johnny's fault. But you know, one of the things, and it's, it's what I loved and maybe I'm just talking about this as a whole and not just her story. Please. Um, the friendship aspect in it, there was, there was a lot of support, um, from her friends, even with, you know, Peter Parker coming out and saying like, I am Spider-Man you know, revealing that, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's a big thing for him to say, like, I'm going to tell you who I am, you know, of course, he's like, you can't tell anybody, but just so she understood that even with her being a mutant, even with her having these powers, she still could not necessarily lead a normal teenage life, because of course, you know, Peter kept on emphasizing with, you know, great power comes, you know, great responsibility, but still saying, you know, you can still live. It's not the end of the world for you to have these mutant abilities so for me i think the friendship component of it and everyone supporting her was a huge thing and even when um you know magneto comes and is basically like you know you have a decision to make um you know peter made sure he brought the x-men and said well now you know you also need to listen to them too trying to give her the two sides of the story because i'm sure she was feeling you could see very clearly she was feeling very very conflicted with her mother not telling her that her father was her uncle. Well, her uncle is her father. Is her father? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Her her uncle is her father, and kind of keeping that from her. So you know, she went through she went through quite a bit. But yeah, I definitely feel like it's that irony thing of now you thought that you were just this normal teenager, but really now you have all these other things to consider. And you know, here are some some other teens who are going through the same thing as you for me personally because i am a teen librarian like this is something that i would give to the kids that i work with i think that they would enjoy like something like oh, this oh yeah this yeah this worked this worked like crazy for me when i was 18 yeah like, i was so into this stuff when i was like 18 years old this worked great for me and i think like one of brian michael bendis's really strong it, it's a it's mixed for me because i think his voice for writing like teenage voices is often it often feels like a middle-aged man writing <laughs> how he thinks teenagers talk. <laughs> so like sometimes that is very true and it and it lands really poorly. Mm-hmm. Other times it works really well and I think he really gets that connection between characters. And I think Spider-Man ultimate or otherwise often works best with a robust cast of characters. That's yes. like usually like the secret sauce to Spider-Man working is that he has a bunch of like more normal people around him and they have a really good secondary characters like J. Jonah Jameson and MJ and Harry Osborn, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Like all, all the, the friendship aspect of all these different kids bouncing off each other, I think really worked. Mm-hmm. And I love he's, he's original here, but um, Kong, yeah, Kong is becoming like one of my yes. favorite little like side characters here. Yes. His moment where he, uh, he, he's the one who pushes Peter Parker because long ago, forever ago he figured out himself that spider-man was peter parker and uh and like you you get here that he is just like he's keeping it to himself because he thinks he's like a nice guy and he's just like i don't want to put that pressure on him to like you know make him worried that people are figuring it out 
you know, so I just, like, I don't say anything about it. But then in the moment, he feels like he needs to push Peter Parker to do this, so he's just like, oh, it sure would be nice if Spider-Man <laughs> went to help his friend Liz Allen. Like, hopefully, do you need me to say, like, Peter, maybe you can go find and Spider-Man. Spider-Man yeah. Like, I'll tell, say however you need. I love it. And then him looking out in the distance and just being like, I figured it out myself. Yeah. Like, yep. there's someone being like, who told him? And him being all proud of himself. For... She didn't That tell character me. has become one of the better, like... <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Right. Oh, that's so good. I, I really... He, he's turned... And, and I liked his little arc of, like, he starts out as kind of the, uh, <clears throat> the bully for Peter. Mm-hmm. And then is just kind of like, oh, no, like, I'm just messing around. And then, like, you know, ki- basically grow some empathy as a lot of teenagers you know this is the time period where they start (laughs) growing empathy for others and uh and comes around to being like a pretty solid guy um yeah so i I, yeah i agree with everything you said i think i think this works i think it largely works because of um all the friendship stuff um and then we get like two little fun one-off issues here omega red who we've seen before who I have not read. We're, we're actually going to read his comics next week on My Marvelous Year. Okay. I've never read a Mobaker Red comic, but my understanding is he's this huge, super-powered mutant, and, like, the joke in this one is that, like, Spider-Man dispatches him super easily in the first time we saw him. So here, he's, like, embarrassed about that. You know, you can tell he's, like, ashamed, and he, uh, he attacks J. Jonah Jameson to get in back with Roxxon because he's kind of, like, a corporate mercenary... It's fine. It's uh, it's kind of fun. It's, you know, this is more like just kind of like filling, filling space and doing doing something fun between, you know, big storylines. And uh, it, it works okay. I like I liked Omega Red's voice, like the way he talked to Jane Jonah Jameson, which mm-hmm. was just like, you know, very calm and considered this like huge hulking monster mutant and just being like, you wrote an anti-Omega Red editorial. I get that. I have made my peace with it. I'm not going to do anything about it. You wrote anti-mutant screeds. I think you're a bigot, but that's not why I'm here to attack you. Like him being like very calm and explaining that was, was amazing to me. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that was mostly, uh, I don't know, mostly my thoughts about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Along the same, I thought it, yeah, definitely chuckled a little bit with that one because of, um, that kind of, that conversation that he has, um, but yeah, I yeah, a cute one off. I would say that I don't. Yeah, uh, yeah it's not really, <laughs> not really much necessarily dive into with that one. Yeah, um, yeah, and then the next one is called the worst day in Peter Parker's life. Which, having read all of Ultimate Spider-Man, I I mean, it's pretty bad. Like this is a bad day, but like I've seen him go through a lot worse days than this. <laughs> <laughs> like even recently, like he's gone through some worse days than this. So it's a weird way to frame it. Um, this is. I, I like this because one of the funny ongoing jokes with Brian Michael Bendis's run is that Shocker is he's he's relegated Shocker into being like a gag villain that is just this like buffoon that Spider-Man beats up with no effort like five times throughout the course of the series like he's regularly just like you know there and, and he's a joke right that's the the point is he's just kind of a joke mm-hmm. um and uh, and here he he gets somehow just gets like a one up on Spider-Man and kidnaps him. And then just has him, like, at his mercy tied up and is torturing him. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, eventually he escapes and, you know, he kind of gets a little bit of empathy for the guy because he realizes, like, this guy's had it rough and he's been screwed over by Roxon Corporation. But, uh, it's, it's fine. It's, it's kind of fun. It's nothing, again, it's, it's a fun one-off. Yeah. Yep, yep, same thing, know. yep. It's a you, fun one-off. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then, th- 
this the last thing we read ultimate spider-man annual number three so the third and final of the annuals which is so weird because it's like this comic's been running for like i don't know how long like eight years or something at this point so I, they're not even annual um but is a it's it's a mysterio story but the mysterio thing is super boring like i could not care about mysterio <laughs> less about mysterio in this mm-hmm. whatever was happening i couldn't even tell you what like his part of it was the main thing is that, like, Mary Jane and Peter Parker are, like, having problems. Yes. Basically because she says she wants to have sex uh, in the first page. She tells him, like, you know, they're together and they're, uh, you know, solidly a couple and they love each other. So she wants to have sex. And then it cuts to, like, the rest of the comic. They're incredibly tense with each other. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out what happened. And there's just this, like, tension between the two of them. Uh and then she, you know, like, she helps out with the case. She's part of the, like, figuring out what's going on with Mysterio and helping him. Um, and then they have another conversation that is super confusing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know exactly, like, like it kind of seemed like Peter was saying, like, I think you're only saying you want to have sex because you think I want to have sex and you don't want to, you want to be, you know, like, cool to me. But I don't want to, but you're worried it's going to drive me away. And it, like, it gets kind of confused. And also, I don't really know what they're saying. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't really know what this conversation was. And also, like, what Peter's point... And it, it also ended on this thing of just, like, well, we should get, like, almost saying, like, well, we should get married first. And it was, like, this is very weird and puritanical. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't really... Well... Yeah, well, also, it, like, clearly having some, like, MJ, like, shots of MJ's ass in panties, yes, which is just, like, the, she's 15, yes, like, in a pan- they make out. 15, I was like, wait, hold yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. I, so, like, at the same time, it's just, like, listen, teenagers being good and not having sex before marriage, but also, like, look at MJ's ass, like, she's 15, <laughs> she's got a great ass, like, it's very, yeah. Yeah, very, very, um. Which is, like, I, I've complained about that a lot, is how sexualized like the the teenagers get in this and ultimate x-men like that happens quite a bit uh in a way that's like grosser than even just the general sexualizing of Mm -hmm. characters and i i forgot to mention but i think it's yannick paquette uh i liked his art in ultimate x-men i don't know if you noticed this this is kind of an aside but like all of a sudden i was like oh wow you're really drawing all these women in like really porny uh positions like a lot of like asses out legs spread in ways that it was just like Hey, imagine Wolverine in this pose. Uh, no, I can't. No, I can't. can't imagine Wolverine in this pose. Exactly. So, like, yeah. yeah, very, very silly. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what did what did you think of this this one issue? So, I definitely, I felt more geared towards focusing on the relationship between Peter and MJ. That definitely was, you know, that seemed to be the point of this. But that ending, that whole ending section is very confusing. Because there was even a part where it was like, I don't know whether she was trying to insinuate, well, you know, you're a superhero, so anything could happen to you, so we should have sex before you die. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And and he, yeah. yeah. I was like, and but... Yeah, I I, I don't... I don't know. I don't... This was one of the most, like, Brian Michael Bendis, stop trying to explore, like, teenage stuff, because you don't really have a grasp. (laughs) You know, it's like, I, I am not... I mean, as an adult man, like, I'm not that interested in exploring, like, the sex lives of teenagers, right? Like, that's not something that I'm, like, super invested in, wanting to, like, explore through my Spider-Man comics. But, like, I get it. Like, it is, it, mm-hmm. it would feel disingenuous to pretend that, like, they're not horny. 
right? Like that yeah. these are teenagers, like, and they're they're not horny. Like that is that would be silly, I guess. But like at the same time, like to actually want to have a conversation around it, and then like just to have this strange, I I don't know. Like it was just like if you want to have this weird conversation where you're just like Peter Parker is just like not saying he's not ready. Even it wasn't like I'm uncomfortable because I'm not ready and I whatever. It was just like. I don't think we should because we're so young. And it's just like, what are you talking about? It just <laughs> didn't a, make any 15 sense. Fifteen-year-old boy is just like, oh, we're too. Listen, young. we're not. Re- <laughs> I need to be responsible. <laughs> Never. Yeah, what do you mean? There. <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah, because yeah, there, there are all kinds of directions that could have gone. Please, uh, please, sorry. And, sorry. and I, I definitely feel like there. <sighs> you're right. I feel like it would have been very disingenuous, especially like reading this and feeling like this. This whole series definitely is is very much so great for a teen audience. So I think exploring and having that conversation was necessary. But I don't think Bendis really knew <laughs> how to have that conversation because it was like, let's yeah. be pure and get married. Then it was like, you know, but if you I don't want you to feel pressured. And then it was like, but if you die, I think we should have sex before you die. And then it was like, <laughs> yeah, let's do let's have this this last panel with her whole entire behind and underwear. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> what is? <laughs> yeah, the, right. What is? I mean, what is you, the message here? You know what it is. It, <laughs> it sounds clearly like this is from the point of view of a parent and not from a teen, right? Like <laughs> I, I think that's the. Yes. Yeah, this is this is a parent with teenage kids wanting to like like project his fantasy about like what responsible teenagers are like more than like what actual teenagers would do. Because if if the end point was like that, you are like, well, I don't actually want Spider Man and Mary Jane to have sex. That is not something we're going to do in this comic. I think you could get there in interesting ways by you know even having Peter just be like, I don't feel ready for this. I don't feel mature enough. Like mm-hmm. we could handle this, or you know whatever. Like. I think that's a different and good conversation, right? Like that could even be like an interesting thing for to be put into their mouths so that, you know, like as a, almost a role model for like being able to express yourself, you know, and like consent and all that, right? But like that is clear. <laughs> I will say, despite the, the you know, the the ass shot of MJ, I really like the art here. Um it is uh sorry, I wanna pull it up because it's someone I I have not seen. It's a little anime-ish. David LaFuente. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like this art style. It was very, uh, very lighthearted and very like, I don't know, very, very light and breezy and uh, yeah, a little, a little, a little manga-ish to me. Yeah, I, um, I got a so, little someone nervous. I'd definitely love to see on more. Yeah, I got a little nervous, of course, because of the switch up, because I got so used to you know, mm, mm-hmm. yeah, that um, that pairing yeah. that we were seeing before, especially with me just reading those issues, I think I definitely got used to that style. And I thought I wasn't going to like it, but it worked for me. It actually, it did work. I did enjoy yeah. it. And um, I do read a lot of manga as well. So that's also probably why, you know, yeah. um, I was I was feeling the art style of oh, this one as well. <laughs> there's, there's a couple comics that I'm, I'm excited for you to read. Did you get to the Black Cat era of Ultimate Spider-Man? Yeah. No, not yet. Okay, that that is... That's pretty funny, like teen sexuality stuff. I'm, I'm interested to hear you get to. And then there's a moment in Ultimate X Men where it goes from like I think it's Adam Kubert, the guy who's writing it, drawing it at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is like kind of the standard Marvel style, which I I really love his stuff. And then it switches to the most wild, over the top manga 
style, mm-hmm. and I don't remember the artist's name, for, like, two issues. I love the art, but it is so, like, incredibly wild of it. Like, all the characters look different. Like, totally different models for the characters. Um, yeah, I'll be interested if you, uh, if you ever get there. Um, okay, I think I think that's gonna do it. I, that was uh, that was really great. Yeah. Um, I uh, I think that's that's it. This was a big batch of comics, though. Twenty two is like on the the larger side for what we're doing. Oh, and I don't know why it had this, but Ultimate Spider Man Annual Number Three had the banner of March to Ultimatum on the top. Um, Ultimatum is gonna be like this enormous. Uh, event coming in three episodes from now so we'll be covering that in um when is that like september i guess for our september episode the 21st episode but i think like the next two episodes are definitely going to have more like lead up to ultimatum ultimatum has a reputation so i'm excited for you to jump into this uh without having much context because it's i've read a little of it uh, mm-hmm. and it's pretty wild <laughs> um so uh yeah 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 uh it'll be be exciting although like i i saw no links between this comic and ultimatum i have no idea why they said that <laughs> this one one comic so um okay so uh next episode is the 20th we're gonna read ultimate fantastic four 54 through 57 ultimate human number one through four uh ultimate the ultimates volume three number one through five and ultimate spider-man 123 to 128 so looking forward to that looking forward to more ultimates although i think ultimates volume three might be post miller okay um and uh and yeah it's oh it's jeff Loeb. okay Okay. it's jeff Loeb working who is going to be doing ultimatum um so that will be interesting it'll be interesting to see what someone does with the ultimates outside of miller because that has been such his baby um the whole time so all right any any closing thoughts ashley no this was great this was great i'm excited to be doing this this has been fun i'm enjoying it Oh, great. Yeah, this was, was fun having you on. Oh, uh, this is <laughs> it's usually Dave's job, but uh, so I forgot to do this at the top. Um, if you would like to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Uh, over there, you get a bunch of great benefits for a dollar a month. You can get access to our spreadsheet, the master spreadsheet of both the um, the ultimate issues and the My Marvelous Year spreadsheet. Um, $5 a month gets you six months early access to this show. So if you're hearing this right now on our public feed, there's six extra episodes of this behind the $5 paywall on Patreon. Um, Also access to our excellent Slack channel where uh, it's a really great place to hang out and uh, hang out with a a really nice comic community. Um, Head over to iTunes and leave us a review. That's greatly appreciated. And Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on YouTube, on Instagram, and Twitter underneath Bookish Realm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely recommend go check out her her YouTube channel. Uh, and you can find me over at uh, social media, but mainly at Twitter at my road is here. So uh, thanks a lot for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. We don't have a sign-off for this show. I got issues. I got issues.